When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. So I accidentally, last time, didn't say the name of the podcast, and so I just used the intro with the music from episode one, and actually, it seems perfectly reusable. Perfect. So I will continue <laughs> to not. The only bad thing about that is that in the intro, I said sages. Your choice was sage, so it made it sound like you were a hack. <laughs> But uh, I'm okay. Now that we know that Sage is, is taken, yes. we, can, we can pick something else. So let me, I'll read mine. I'm Mark Lintonmeyer, a philosophy master who wants to learn improv. And I'm Bill Arnett, a improv maven who's curious about philosophy. Each of us has come with a lesson in mind to convey to the other, and we have two rules for this conversation. Do you remember them, Bill? Do you remember either one? Um, be polite. That's, don't. that's not one of them. We don't have to be polite. You taught me last time that being not polite could actually be a nice thing. That is correct. There's rule number one. You just learned rule number one. An alternate rule <laughs> is we're not going to say what the lesson is up front. And we really, I don't know about later, I sort of cheated. And at the end, I just sort of said all the stuff I wanted to say. And I'm not, I'm not sure if I should do that. If the, that's probably more satisfying to audiences, but I, I don't know. Holding back is not bad. Make keeping things simple. We'll see where the conversation goes. Here is not my thing I wanted to teach you today, but it's a apropos right now. Sometimes subtext becomes text. Hmm. It happens in life. And if it happens to happen during the course of this podcast, if the lesson we're trying to lay in via subtext or hinting around becomes text, well, maybe we should let it. But I think any sort of sexual tension should just stay under the surface. Totally. Just leave just it. Festering. Leave it there. Yes. We'll, we'll try to get several seasons just out of that tension <laughs> alone. Just milk it. Yeah. Number two, the second rule, we're not going to take turns. I just want to reinforce that, how we've set up something that is actually physically impossible for us to do so that people have that in mind and will uh, forgive <laughs> us or blame me for this bad idea. But I like bad ideas. I think it's a great idea. I mean, a bad idea. That's, I mean, let's get philosophical about bad ideas. Or not. But we get it. We get it. <laughs> well, you have the opening salvo today. None of this is counted. The match has not begun yet. And uh, now it's begun. Well, you had mentioned that some of the pre-viewers, pre-listeners, had expressed some concern that, that we never did an improv scene. Hmm. So I thought maybe we should actually do an improv scene to begin, and the lesson that I am thinking about, which I will not say out loud, will be woven into this lesson a little bit, into this improv scene. How does that sound? Well, I like the idea of doing the scene, but it seems like you're implying that you have some knowledge that I don't. Do you think you're better than I am? <laughs> well, I thought you just said one of the rules is we're not going to say what our thing is. And I feel like in the last two episodes, I came right out the gate and just labeled it. and. Okay. Would you like me to label it? So, so, so the, your, the lesson is that you're better than I am. Is that, that's, is that what you're saying? I'm sure there are some things where I am your better and there's some things where you are my better. 
And we're just well, as long as it's absolutely equal in the things in the final tally. So if we have to, if we have to go through, if if any sort of talent is shown on your end, I will have to absolutely be sure to come up with something, even <laughs> if not at all apropos to what is going on, because I am prepared. I'll tell you to uh, in doing a scene here to suck. I'm a newbie. That is the premise of the podcast. Despite my many <coughs> years of what might be called improvisation, I take the words to heart. When somebody commented in one of the first partially examined life reviews, you think you're funny, but you're not. <laughs> I ignore all the good comments that I got, but that one, that one is probably completely accurate, even though it was only after episode one, I think it came out. <laughs> yeah. All right. What is the premise to this scene? I have worked with younger improvisers a lot. And I'm not going to lie. If you went to 99.5% of any improv school around the, the world, you're going to get something different than what I'm about to ask of you right now. But that's fine. In fact, it's going to work to our advantage. Here is the goal of this scene. And this is something we have talked about in past episodes. And even I think a, a thing that we have alluded to, we're going to try to make this feel like it's actually happening. Like if someone tuned in that they get to be a fly on the wall, not in the funniest moment of the world, but just a regular old interaction, two humans interacting with as much detail as we can. This will feel to listeners as if we are not performers who are raising ourselves above them to give them some pre-planned entertainment, but they are just absolutely just listening into some peers who are just as boring as they are doing just boring things. And we're all equally boring. There's a lot of judgment in there. I'm going to let it slide. Humanity will sit in front of, well, this is not the lesson for today, but I'll just let it out. We will sit in front of reasonably played reality indefinitely. As long as it catches our attention, it's called drama. It's called Downton Abbey. And we will sit and watch that for hours upon hours of people behaving like people. As long as it's in enough detail and it makes a sense. They may not do the actions that we would do, but we understand and see the humanity in their choices and their actions. Let's dive in. Let's do this. Okay. Are you ready? Let's, something we even mentioned before, a doctor's visit. A visit to the doctor. And I'll go ahead and get this thing started. Are we ready? I'm ready as I can be. I have my uh, security blanket here. <laughs> I have several stuffed animals around me. There we go. Let's begin. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming in. I've got your file here. Let me just get your paperwork done. Uh, is this a checkup or were you a reason for your visit? Something uh, bothering you? I mean, there are things that are, let's call it a checkup, but maybe something will come up. Maybe you'll notice something. Sure, sure. That's no, no problem at all. All right. The nurse took your temperature and blood pressure. That seemed okay. A little high. Blood pressure's a little high, but that's not uncommon at a doctor's visit. I wouldn't worry about that. All right. I see you do have a family history of uh, of some cancers in your family. That's that's all in the file here. It was mostly on your maternal side, correct? Yes. I guess I, I'm definitely worried about cancer. Sure. And sure. I guess I, I don't know if it is a tumor. Oh, okay. Is there a, do you have a, uh, have you found something? Is there a lump or something? I mean, I guess I, I thought that you might notice the fully formed second head on my shoulder. I mean, it's, it's pretty quiet, but it, I mean, it's not a, just an optical illusion. It is an actual fully formed okay, well, I, second head okay, Mark, growing out of my right shoulder. I'm not going to lie. I thought that was a joke. I really thought that was a joke. I thought you, you thought being, it was like doing the Zaphod Bebelbrox 1980s costume. I just thought it. Hey, it would, I hey, wish it would, that were it. It would be funny to come in with a with a fake head on my shoulder. I thought you were 
in the film industry or something. And uh, seriously, that's not, is this real? Is this real? Do you want to touch it? Kind of no, but I have to, I guess, huh? <laughs> it was really just this morning that it seemed to arrive. And I guess it could have been there earlier and I just didn't see it, wouldn't notice it. I don't know, but I, I find that hard to believe that it would be yeah, I just, so self-ignorant as to... Very hard. Was it there yesterday? Not that I noticed. Not that anyone commented. Maybe they were just being polite. At what point did you decide to call? And why aren't you in the ER? I guess I just had this regular checkup scheduled anyway. And I just figured this might be more efficient. Okay. I don't know. I just, it might be nothing. It could, it's probably nothing. Just, to, you know what? Let's just do the regular. It's not The nothing. regular checkup. I, I don't even. We're going to skip ahead. Okay. I'm not going to have you touch your nose or close your eyes or your reflexes can wait. If this is real, I'm also having a little, there's a little, it takes a long time to pee and I have to get up at okay, night. That's not, let's not worry about that right now. That, that is small potatoes. If there is a head growing out of your shoulder, let me remove your shirt. I'm going to, ex- oh, I'm going to examine it. Let me get, I made double glove on this one. I mean, I'm just kind of, I had to kind of just wrap the shirt. Yeah. I mean, it's already, all right. Like I, a, I totally stretched the neck out it's very, like a, very far. A poncho or to something. Work this. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, okay. Um, do you, does it say anything? Does it move? Does it talk? Does it do anything? Again, this might be the kind of thing that I just don't want to have be happening. I, I don't doubt it, but it seems that dude, if this is honestly stop, if this is a joke, if this is some kind of thing that my buddies at the hospital to ha ha ha, We'll get Dr. Richard by putting a, a fake head on some guy. Honestly, straight up. Is this a joke? Yes, it's definitely. Oh, come on. It's definitely a joke. No, it's. I, I Really? I would like to move forward past this. I guess I just. <sighs> let's just say. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was just kidding. It's just. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it's just. I, I must have. Uh, somebody must have put that on there. My roommate kind of give me a hard time. <laughs> just uh, Mark, I'm going to examine this thing. Stitch. I'm going to examine this thing, and I will know the truth. I will find out the truth. And if this thing grew and it just made a noise, I'm going to examine it. I'm going to be prepared to find some kind of, you know, spirit gum or some kind of uh, attachment thing. But I'm <clears throat> here. I go. All right. I'm going to touch it now. Um, all right. It feels to be part of your I flesh. Don't, I can't feel that at all. You feel nothing. Whatever you're, whatever you're doing there. Okay, I've got, that's can not. You, I have a hand on my shoulder. Connected. Yes, I now, feel the shoulder. My hand on but your primary neck. Do you feel that? Yes. And my hand yes, on that's, the that's clear. We'll call it secondary neck. You don't feel that at all. I don't feel that at all. That that uh, seems. Can we just chop it off and well, chop and chop. just be done? I mean, look, this is. It has piqued my scientific curiosity. B. I am disgusted and weirded out by this and almost want to put this in a hazmat situation. We're going to get an x-ray. I'm going to say it right now. You're not leaving without an x-ray. That's <clears throat> palpitating. This feels to be a head. I can feel it has glands around the neck. I can feel a head, earring. Um, I don't want to. Okay. Why is it drooling? panting? Pant? I don't know. I, I, I don't. Whatever you're doing, it seems to. Are you scritching it? Okay, I want you. Is to, this a pet? I want you to. Do I have a pet on I my head? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I want you to take. Hey, did you do that? Did you do I that? I didn't. 
I feel like sometimes there's a niggling voice in the back of my head that I don't like the sound <sighs> of my own voice. I just hear it as if through the the ears of my my mother who thought that I just would never accomplish any <laughs> like that. And I it makes me very self-conscious. And I'm just wondering if this is some sort of uh I mean, clearly, this is just a dream, so I'm not even going to worry. Here's what we're going to do. That's weird. That is weird. I'm going to call a nurse. We're going to get a wheelchair over here. and We're going to roll you across the street over to the hospital. We're going to throw a sheet over you. I'm not sure who to call at the hospital right now. Uh, uh, Neurology? Grossology? I don't know who to call, but we're going to figure this out, Mark. Clear your calendar. Is there such a thing as a psycho-veterinarian? We can I'm find feeling one. like, A, this is an externalization of my own insecurities, and B, it, well, let me just try. I'm going to try to pet it myself. Uh. And I, I, see, it seems to like that. It seems to be, okay, a little too into that. All right, all right, all right. I'm just trying things out here. This is, this is all new to me. We can cut it off or you can just deal with it uh, where I'm not going to force you to get surgery. And if you just want to deal with it, that's wow. But uh, I'm not going to force you to have surgery. Can we cut it off and deal with it? If it is truly something that is a necessary part of my psyche and a pet, that might be nice to have just not actually on my shoulder. Or there are some pets that do work on shoulders. And that imitate human speech. You know what I'm going for here. Look, uh, a parrot. Can you install some feathers, something to make it look a little less like me? I know some people look like their pets anyway. And if it could just look more like a socially acceptable sort of creature, then maybe it would just be fine. Ethically, no. Ethically, no. You have some decisions to make. You're at a crossroads in your life. and. My medical opinion is get this thing removed ASAP and study it. That's just me. If you want to. No, what do you know? Fuck you. Okay. That's, that's a full sentence. I've never heard. The, I think you should just go blow it out of the ass. And I think you should not dress me up like anything. And I think. I'm beginning to think that maybe I'm doing both these voices with my normal mouth. I can't really tell. Okay. Um, I want you to take a deep breath in with your primary mouth. Pinch your nose. And try to blow out and see where the air, does your, do you feel the resistance or does the air come out of the secondary mouth? Blow it out your ass. All right. Well, there we go. It's, you're not grossed out by this. You're, this isn't the most disgusting thing you've ever seen in, in your life. I am beyond, I'm so beyond grossed out that I just can't even believe this is happening and I'm just going to go with it. All right. It's probably a dream and you're probably a dream. And so oh. I can, you should kill him. Just kill him. Prove it's a dream and just kill him. And I can just take this scalpel right here, and I can... And then see. I'm going to put this in your file. Yeah, we'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I had no idea what the protocol for who gets to stop. Anybody does, whenever. And there is no part. I didn't didn't explain it to you. We didn't have those those rules in place. What do you think, Mark? Was that terrible? Was that horrible? Maybe. I think (laughs) listeners can tell us. (laughs) Well... I'll see when I get to editing it how much I want to cut that down to four minutes or whether <laughs> it was fine the way it was. Certainly, I violated your, I was uncomfortable, I guess, with the let's purely grab a slice of life and had to go fantasy 
right just you know three seconds into the welcome sketch. to improv that's going to be the most one of the most difficult things there is i don't usually take a much of a rules-based approach at teaching people improv and you might want to put an asterisk by that we can talk about that in a second but don't try to be funny it's a very common thing you're going to hear day one level one and the idea is just as you said self-consciousness grows. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this well? Is the audience liking what I'm doing? And that is sitting in there in the back of your mind. And that's that inside voice you talked about later, that, well, we can harness that inside voice to give us useful information. This is going on too long, or is this going on too long, or how do I end this, as you did mention? But that inside voice can also tell us things like, this isn't funny. This isn't good. You need to do something. Do something crazy. Now on the flip, Mark, if you do make some big thing happen, It's going to be my job to treat it like something big happened. And that's what I tried to do. The last thing I want to do or any of us want to do is to undercut someone's thing. Now, if it's small and minor, it's easy for me to to accommodate those things and keep them going. If it's really big, like there's a second head on your shoulder, well, then I've got to be just as bold with my reaction. So I guess I wasn't sure whether you're going to somehow, given that I'd made that bold step if you were going to similarly push it one step bolder, you chose to kind of just stay with it and treat it seriously, which I then felt like I didn't quite know what to do with, that I just had to make some decisions of, does it talk or not? You know, I just had to to fill out the idea that I had thrown out so hastily. Yeah, that's a fork in the road for me on how I want to deal with it. And it's an artistic decision. It's not a right-wrong decision. It's an artistic decision. What kind of sound do I want to make? Give someone a piano, give someone a guitar. There's a million one sounds they can make. You know, there's no right or wrong. I can play a blues lick well. I can play a blues lick poorly. Or I can adjust the tuning and do some heavy metal 100 mile an hour solos on the same instrument. And the choice is mine as an artistic entity as to what sound I want to come out. And that can be a tricky thing for people. A, to know the sound that they want to have come out, and B, be able to make it come out. So I very much could have said, oh, we can run this scene back. I'm going to go right to that moment. And I can be like, ah, <laughs> second head. Good, the good thing is that our third head, I had a couple. So some guy in here earlier had, had six or eight heads. Okay, let's get this taken care of. And, and again, someone might say, well, that would have been funnier or whatnot. But it's like, well, do you want country music? Do you want heavy metal? Who's to say which is, which is better or which is worse? That's where kind of taste and style get conflated with right and wrong. And I'm sure there are some similarities in philosophy <laughs> where we tend to take a viewpoint and treat it as the only right answer or try to come up with some supporting information for this viewpoint and fail to see that it is simply a right answer, one of many right answers instead of the only right answer. Certainly in America's political climate, we're getting a lot of my answer is the only right answer. One of the things that was coming out it was subtext becoming text, was the self-confidence issue that I expressed at the beginning. And just the question of whether, you know, clearly some people are more talented at particular things than others, but do those add up to any sort of objective sense of the worth of a person that we all kind of consider, like, I want to be somebody. If you have that idea of fame, of talent, then it's not that you think people who are not somebody in the relevant sense are nothing, but you've said that there is some significant, I don't know, morally significant, but culturally significant, some distinction that you're trying to draw between people. And I'm always fascinated about how that does or does not 
play into individual self-assessments, your psychology. I have long thought that the concept of self-esteem does not actually make any sense at all. What is the concept self-esteem that you think doesn't make sense? So that's a question. Or like the textbook definition that you have a, uh, you have a problem with. Because we're all equal in pretty much every way that matters. And though that doesn't mean that I want anybody to be my doctor, if they don't have doctor training, there are plenty of specific things. Even people with doctor training, I don't want somebody who's a really stupid doctor. Sure. <laughs> but given those exceptions, doesn't it seem that in the grand scheme of things, those differences between us are insignificant in how we should treat each other, how we should think of ourselves? Yeah. What is there that needs to be pumped up? Sure. Your confidence, thinking that you can do a particular thing. Well, shouldn't that be a rational calculation based on how much training you've had and how comfortable you feel in that particular situation, as opposed to some sort of self-assessment of your personal worth? I guess it certainly should be, but it sure isn't. I think you know, like the warning on cigarettes is like, oh, oh my gosh. Well, I didn't know these things were dangerous. I better stop. We're hitting that whole, uh, can we will ourselves into believing something? Can we, even though I have, I have a very logical reason for why I should get married, I have terribly cold feet. You know, I may have lots of reasonable reasons and be able to rationale why something should be true. It doesn't necessarily flip a switch in my heart and suddenly make it true. So if you're thinking about what characters you are portraying in an improv situation, in an acting situation, are you reflecting on the moral worth of those characters. Even if everybody is ultimately equal, you still feel like the appeal, you know, some people do like to spy in on people who are at exactly their level of status. But mostly, if you're talking about Downton Abbey or something, you know, you have these people that are in elevated positions and we're interested in the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And maybe part of that is even that we think we're morally superior to those characters, whether they are called by society to be higher, low status. Yeah. So it seems like these assessments of the quality of people. And I mentioned Downton Abbey in particular because that was, you know, a time period where people were very upfront with it. These are people of low quality. I will not, I will not associate with myself with those people. And it's just much more subtle now that we more for hygiene purposes, we sort of want to be around people who will stimulate us and be pleasant. And it's, you know, nothing against you. Maybe internally, you're a perfectly worthy individual. It's just, uh, I don't necessarily, you're not giving me what I need interpersonally. Sure. At some point, A, there's a number of things going on. One is the levels of, I'm an actor portraying a character. I'm aware of what I'm doing and aware of what I'm putting into this person. Another part of it is, should I even care? Should I even care? If I'm going to be a technician of improv, maybe I should care. If I'm putting improv in a cruise ship, maybe I should care. But if I'm just doing it, if I'm approaching it from the point of view of a, of an artist, and I know that gets thrown a lot in the improv world, and, and I don't mean to be hoity-toity about it, but at some point, I think I just quit caring and started trusting the voice inside of me. And I know that it can be kind of a cop-out sometimes when artists say that sometimes, but I honestly don't care. And I'm just going to portray the people that I enjoy and the things that fall out of me semi-organically and trust that, that they are who they are. And if I'm true to them, if I present them truthfully, well, then they're going to have a value regardless of their station in life. Something you did in our scene, you even admitted it. You started out that scene nervous. You started out that scene unsure. And uh, uh, and you even admitted that there was a voice inside of you that said, this isn't very funny. Maybe I need to make a big choice here. I put a head on my shoulder. 
Well, all that ties together, doesn't it? That's all the same thing. And in fact, what was that voice? You even labeled it your mother saying what a bad person you are. And all those things are related. And I don't think those are individual, independent objects. And when you start off by nervous, and then you make a choice that you admit was from a place of perhaps uncertainty or nervousness, well, of course, the thing that you create will be a manifestation of that (laughs) uncertainty and nervousness. So that was not just a coincidence. I just thought it would be funny if the second head mockingly imitate the things that the main head would say. <laughs> well, you even said you thought it would be funny, but from the point of view of, I don't know what to do. I'm kidding. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, and there it is being an embodiment of self-consciousness. I thought that was kind of fun. Well, and after a certain period, because I didn't know how long it was supposed to go, I was kind of like, I need to make some choices to resolve this thing. <laughs> it was hardly a graceful performance of deciding that it should be a pet that should be a parrot you know it just it was, it was more a logical connection sure than something that organically built out of the character i couldn't decide is the character scared to death about this deciding that has not even been able to, to face it as a real thing and i'm going to decide it's a dream and actually be blasé about it maybe that was i don't know what do you think of that <laughs> well you even doing that you even saying i'm uncertain or changing from a place of get this thing off me to I kind of like it. That is my job to acknowledge your changing in attitude. And that is something that there's an old improv adage. Again, you're going to go, hold on to your deal. Whatever it is you declare for yourself, that's true. And don't drop it. It ends up giving players some myopia where their brain is not in the moment. Their brain is, how do I hold on to this? And I'd rather their brain be in the moment. It is my job to acknowledge if you start changing and like, oh, I loved it. Well, no, no, I'm not so sure. I kind of like it. Uh, I hate it. Get it off. That's going to be my job to acknowledge that, especially as a person of authority in that situation, especially as a doctor in that situation. That's going to be my job. Sure, there is some utility around holding on to what you did. But like I said earlier, the fact that you started nervous and that nervousness literally manifested itself on your shoulder. Well, that, and in some ways, that is heightening your own, your own choice at the beginning, even if that choice was a choice of circumstance and not necessarily a thought out planned choice. Well, I just should have been telling myself, we're all equal in in God's eyes. Whatever differences we have are (laughs) insignificant in the grand scheme of things. We all deserve to be treated with respect, no matter what our objective talents are. And I'm sure that all the audience members, thinking they were just listening in on their equals, (laughs) would just take it in that and not expect that I would be specifically on on some sort of pedestal above them, shining my talent down upon them, that we're merely in this muck of a life together. Yes. Well, you know, for someone who, who has said that a few different ways over the last several minutes, you sure are saying that a lot. It's almost as if that were relevant to the philosophy that I feel <laughs> like I was going to come in here and try to get you to say something relevant do you, about do you it, believe it. Do you believe that is true? Do you believe that we can will ourselves into self-confidence or that we can immediately put fear or uncertainty in people's minds just by being on a podcast? I think that there are plenty of ways that self-proclaimed philosophers try to rewrite their emotional makeup. And most of them I'm very suspicious of. Okay. But ultimately... Names or not. If you don't, that's fine. (laughs) Stoics, for instance. This is very much a related thing. But they're all related to the idea that I am intellectually in touch with some truth and I should react appropriately. Like that seems the most natural thing in the world. Sure. 
But if, as the Stoics think, you think, uh, you know, there are things that are outside of my control, the only thing I have control is my own attitude towards those things. And so they try to rewrite themselves to let the things go, let let the chips fall where they may. And I, I think, that, you know, there is something to that. Has that been a strategy that you have something along those lines that you've used from time to time? As I was saying earlier, you just, what makes improv different, really, really different is mm-hmm. you've got to build it in the moment. It is happening right now. And it gives it more of a sports feel, more of an athletic kind of, you know, I don't get a chance to go back and rewrite and change things. And once I create it, it is gone. It is gone. Our little scene happened to be recorded, but it certainly doesn't mean that there aren't. Doesn't mean it deserved to be compared to the many other scenes. <laughs> the bulk of my career is gone. And you got to accept that. And once you start accepting that, the pressure starts coming off a lot. It really starts melting off. And boy, how nice would it be to have my 10 greatest scenes on tape or you know, somewhere recorded? That sure would be nice, wouldn't it? But it'd also be great to not have a hundred horrible scenes <laughs> taped or recorded. And uh, it's just such a thing as a good idea. Well, that is a, an objectively funny idea. Objectively. We can all agree that's a funny idea. And people usually think that are like, well, yeah, that's a funny idea. That's a bad idea. I've got lots of friends in the greater Hollywood sphere. I myself have dabbled here or there. And you get something like, well, that's a bad idea. That's just not a good idea. And it always kind of baffled me a little bit because, well, we haven't seen this idea executed yet. And in fact, there's a lot of avenues for execution. And it's hard to say, well, that is objectively a bad idea. Depends who's doing it. Some are easier to do than others. Yes. Some might be easier to execute, but that's different than bad. Or, mm-hmm. or bad is maybe too broad of a term that they need to clarify. Now, there are certainly people who are good storytellers and good joke tellers. A lot of people who are terrible joke tellers. You give me any objectively good idea that you think is a great idea, I can ruin it. I can find someone to ruin it. So how much value was in that idea? We can come up with a really cool melody that we think some really cool chord progression. It's really great and really, and, and I bet we can find a, someone to suck all the life out of it, right? I know you do some other They can be stuff. enjoyable ironically. That's <laughs> yeah. the only, everything's enjoyable in some way. <laughs> yeah. If that's true, well, then I guess we got to ask, well, I guess it is the storyteller. I guess it is the execution. And if that's the case, well, then I'm not worried about what idea you have. I'm really not. Or what idea I have. Or, oh, we got to start the first line of the scene's got to be funny. Like, no, none. None at all. No, it's me. It's me and, and what I can do. And you and what you can do, what you can bring. And your unique perspective. And maybe at the end of the day, that's not true. We can prove it that, that what I just said is demonstrably not true. But you know what? It's useful. And for <laughs> improv being more like a sport, perhaps I need some of those useful lies to breed success. What is it? Uh, FOMA, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, you mentioned that like these useful lies we all tell ourselves that grease the wheels of our experience. Maybe that's one of them. Maybe there are good, objectively good jokes. And I just choose to disagree for my own self-worth. I was just referring to try to reprogram yourself to align with what you take to actually be the truth. So that, for instance, if you think that God loves you and everything will ultimately work out, then you can, you should remind yourself of that constantly just to, you know, lessen the burdens of everyday life. But if you think that maybe the truth is that we are just floating in a void with nothing pointing out any particular way we're supposed to go and it, that makes it ultimately all meaningless, then maybe you'd like to tell yourself that usually that's all, half the existentialist equation and the, the other half is tell yourself some, maybe they're not lies. You don't know. 
But maybe you want to make the jump and be religious anyway, as some existentialists do, Kierkegaard. Or maybe you want to make the jump and just throw yourself in some particular artistic endeavor. And maybe part of that is believing in yourself that actually the self-esteem thing is not as irrational as I thought (laughs) in first considering it. Because, yes, there is no fact of the matter of how good a person you are. There are lots of individual things that are measurable about you, but those don't add up to any sort of quality of person. And yes, that is a thing that I think we've only recently, historically, in liberal democracies, come to acknowledge to be true. And we still can't get ourselves around. So many of the discussions of, you know, if I'm ripping on Trump to some people, then I'm personally attacking them. I'm saying they're stupid. And, you know, is, is these fights about status. And if we all realize that what I'm calling a truth, what I'm calling what an agreed upon truth, that we're all... Pretty much everybody's a somebody, right? Everybody gets the 15 minutes, whatever. But at the same time, there's enough ambiguity in that and different contexts in which it actually matters. You know, everybody's equal. So I will be your surgeon today, even though I have no training that maybe we, you know, as well as having objective measures of quality of talent in some areas. Pumping yourself up, taking advantage of that ambiguity and playing the self-esteem game with yourself actually might be a completely rational thing to do. Yeah. How do we construct a society where there are a lot of things that are true about humanity that are positive and things that are kind of negative? And, you know, I used to tell people it's like gossip is one. And it's just like we are recovering gossip alcoholics. That's just how every human is born as a, as a gossip alcoholic. And if you're lucky, you're aware of it. And you can like, well, I'm being, yeah, I really want to, oh, I just heard some terrible news. I want to know more. I better not, you know, and it takes, it takes some, uh, a step out and to say like, yeah, that really is something I want to know, but is that healthy for me to know it? And is that feeding a negative part of me that's bad for humanity? And I think a tremendous amount of the political dialogue now is leveraging unsavory parts of our humanity for someone's personal gain. And ultimately, that's a really bad thing to do. We're kind of tickling the dragon a little bit by doing that. Everybody wants to be safe. No one wants to be threatened. No one wants to live in a world that's unsafe. I've got children. I want them to be safe. However, my need for safety, because I'm a human being who lived in a world of there's not enough food to go around, that can be leveraged to an irrational degree to where suddenly my need for safety has been pumped up and has been taken to a ridiculous extreme. And not because I really do need that level of safety, but because as a human, as this species, that's a soft spot. I'm a safety alcoholic and I got to be careful because if I start going down that safety road and reading stuff online about what's going to kill my children and what the crime rate is, it's take another sip of booze and I got to be careful. Because any human who drinks in that well is going to find themselves in a dark place thinking and believing pretty, pretty dark things. So on the one hand, I hate the term safety holic, if you had <laughs> said that, which you didn't. On the other hand, being a literal safety alcoholic, that's interesting to, to pull off. Okay, very good. Drink responsibly. <laughs> yeah, drink responsibly. Browse the internet responsibly. Uh, you know, <laughs> conduct yourself responsibly, knowing that humanity... All of us are, have some pre-programming that can be leveraged for bad things, you know? And can be leveraged for entertaining things. Certainly, certainly. I, w- I would agree as well. And hopefully real entertaining and not ironically entertaining. I think we should call the match to a close 
did we do the judging before we we report report on what we learned all right so you go first this time yeah what was my point i mean i guess i mostly just said it but (laughs) (laughs) the value of all humanity and the value of all people and that judging ourselves or comparing ourselves to others is not good or right and that's talk about something else that humans do with very little we don't need to be told to compare ourselves to others we just do it automatically something else we need to be aware of and careful with because that can certainly be a dark dark place but i think you had said that we all have we should honor ourselves and honor what we're capable of and not get too down on ourselves i think just the overall division between what we intellectually believe about the value of other people, which hopefully if you're a good person, you think that there are no significant moral differences, maybe in the status of what people do, but not necessarily in the status of what people are. And there are lots of issues we could get into that of like, if you commit a bad crime, are you thrust off the island and you're no longer part of that part of that? But for most people who are not horrible, uh, (laughs) will say that they're all basically the same, but then it's just so essential to our psychology essential is maybe too strong a word, to play these status games, to play these self-confidence games, to think, oh, I've done all this stuff. I'm kind of a big deal, at least in this sphere. And, you know, is that okay to take some pride in that? Or is that just irrational and distasteful to take some pride in that? And what does pride actually... Anyway, there's a, there's a lot of roads we could go further down here, but we scratched the surface well enough for the person who gets to go second in this particular <laughs> game. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I didn't get too close to it literally. It stayed in the subtextual, but I'm dying to hear what you have to say. Of what lesson I learned about improv. I mean, clearly just actually doing a scene and getting some feedback. You know, what I'm personally getting out of it is that I should have the self-confidence to not feel like I have to make a big move and to let things be more mundane and boring (laughs) because something interesting will come out of that and just have the confidence and especially working with someone as experienced and competent as a true sage of the art form as yourself. I think I said Maven earlier. I should have let you have more of, put you in more of a position to fill the space rather than feel like I had to immediately jump in with something, which of course was half-baked, but that was, that was okay. I was, I was okay with it being half-baked. It was not immediate. And you didn't run away from it. I didn't say that as a compliment. You didn't run away. A lot of people are going to mm-hmm. run away. If they're going to lay something and then run away from it. Well, you are close. The, what I wrote down was no one knows the rules of improv and will not judge you on doing them, on your execution of the rules. And it's just this whole idea that it's so, so easy to go online, read all these things, how to improvise, take classes and whatnot, but ultimately the audience doesn't know. They don't know what is too quick. They don't know what is too big. They're not judging any of your choices as an improviser would judge them. They're judging them as people judge them. And as an audience, any audience seeing any, any media would, would judge them. I get kind of hung up on being anti-color by numbers. There is some place for coloring by numbers, but it's an easy thing to go to. Uh, and I kind of want to stay away from it. I think you were close, man. I really do. I think there was some parody, not parody, some overlap in what you just said and what I had to say what I was going for. All right, let's hear from the judges. We're down to only 12 judges this wow. time. It was much easier to schedule. I'm, I'm guessing from the bruises that some of them have that maybe getting to this spot involved a certain amount of... Uh, what did you do? Competition. You just told me I got it. We expressed some dismay at the number of judges and you said I got it. Nothing that they didn't want to do in their heart of hearts. Well, I mean, being a judge is pretty prestigious and you're waving that in front of them. 
And they're bruised? Yeah. They're bruised? They have bruises? Mark, they have bruises? And I've promised to announce at least one of their names next time and maybe let them talk a little bit. But for the <sighs> moment, um, I feel like th- that I need to give them some kind of tough love and really keeping them in the soundproof booth for the week before they actually emerge to listen to us talk. For a week? So they would have no other... A week? I guess come to think of it, I'm not sure I like the looks in, in uh, especially uh, that little guy on the on the right in his eyes. It looks... You don't even know their names. I, I just, I don't feel like it's good. I don't think I should announce them at this point because I want to keep them. I don't want to give them the fame and make them have a big head. I want them to acknowledge that we are the masters. They're deciding among us. You can't dangle fame in front of people. All right. We are f- recovering fameaholics. And if you dangle fame yes. in people, they're going to start drinking and it's going to make them do stupid stuff. Okay. Like agree to be in a booth, some kind of physical death match. <sighs> what did they say? What did they, we'll do, we'll, off the air, we'll figure out your judge vetting. Okay, I've got the envelope here. So improv one, obviously. And maybe that's because improv goes first, but, uh, maybe it's, uh, just cause it's better and you're a better person and that's just all there is to it. Whoever goes first gets a little bit of an edge, you get a little bit of an edge. And maybe we need to figure out a handicapping system. Do you want to get in the booth with with the the little guy? Oh hell no! And hell no. maybe he have have, have no. a little uh, fisticuffs. No, no, maybe no, no. To, to. All right. Well, thank you for uh, the match. I had a wonderful time, Mark. Thank you. All right. So long. Goodbye, everybody. And now we're in the the post game period, which I still have yet to decide whether we'll include these or will not. be public <laughs> or not. I kind of, maybe we should just keep the uh, suspense up, give the audience some dramatic irony, you know, that they're hearing us, but yet they thought maybe they're pulling one over on us because these are supposed to just be private. It's really deep. This is just layer upon layer here, Mark. (laughs) When when does it end? You know, where's bedrock? Does it even exist? I don't know. I don't have, I didn't bring the button today to pull us to the numeral realm. <laughs> so do you, do you not like Stoics? Was that kind of a dig on Stoics? Uh, I will refer f- folks to our three discussions on Stoicism where we were accused in descending order of being disrespectful to Stoicism, but. Sure. Yeah. People who think that they have, uh, mind fucked themselves seldom actually have. Okay. All right. That's all I'm saying. Like if you want to, if you're, if you're a pretentious business Stoic, that's like, I'm going to rewrite my emotional operating system with stoic principles. Like, well, f- just fuck yourself. I mean, that's. <laughs> gotcha. I- I've met that person. I-, <laughs> I know that person. I haven't heard someone say, I'm going to rewrite myself with egalitarian principles and no longer believe that I am significant compared to other people. I feel like I'm the only person that I know that has throughout my life tried to do that from time <laughs> and again. And that's because I, you know, had pretty terrible ego issues as a kid. I was told. By too many people that, oh, you're, you're so brilliant and talented. And then I, and I would use that as a weapon against the bullies. Sure. Because I was not in the, you know, I was a geek. I was not well regarded until I, you know, became more able to speak in complete sentences with confidence to people, you know, by mid high school, say, (laughs) but as a middle schooler, it was a, it was a nightmare. So being able to think that I'm going to own you when I get older. Not knowing that I would eschew any sort of profession that would allow me to own anyone in any sense. <laughs> yes. Boy, that whole kind of revenge fantasy. That's another. We're also revenge fantasy alcoholics. And boy, it's really easy to get people tied up in that knot. 
It never works. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Have I ever gotten revenge? Have I ever really gotten revenge? And I don't know if I ever have. Or if I have, it's like so far away from me that it's going to have to sit back. They don't know I'm laughing from afar. So then is it even revenge? Is it even revenge if they don't know that you stuck it to them? Well, yeah. And the fact that I can't remember offhand any (laughs) must mean if I did it, it wasn't that satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not something I remember all the slights and insults. I don't remember <laughs> necessarily. I remember the easy some part. good times, but like not good times, you know, where I really stuck it to somebody. Yeah. No, there are a few times. Generally, when you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about all the dumb things you've done as a child that are, you know, that's just your mind just trying to hurt you. There are very few times where I've actually been able to like land on something really positive. I'm like, oh yeah, I did that. I was great at that. Oh man, I was so, that scene was so great. Oh man, you know, like <laughs> I love those nights, man. Those nights are great. Well, as a possible future material for, for topics, I, I love the idea of legacy and ephemeral art and the various, you know, the fact that my primary art form is, uh, music is, is creating recording specifically there are lots of musicians i know that like oh being in a studio is like wearing is like sex with a condom i would rather yeah 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 (laughs) i would rather you know be out live but like live means i have to face an audience (laughs) and drag all my stuff somewhere and just all the inconvenience and things that can go wrong yeah yeah. whereas the studio anyway so i can feast upon the dozen albums i've created over the years and you know relive a glory day in some sense just by I actually like this song that I made. And, uh, <laughs> as opposed to what you described of just being happy with it, it, uh, wisping off into the ether, yeah. which I, I feel like is a more healthy attitude, but I don't know. I thought about maybe mentioning this before this even started, but there's a guy on, and maybe this is, we, we, we've been giving for any listeners, if this ever does make it to air, uh, giving each other little things to like, Hey, here's something you should watch or something you should, you should look at. Yes. Let's keep uh, going with that. Uh, well, the one for you would be, and I forgot the guy's name, but if you start Googling it, it'll come up. A guy who takes songs, popular songs, and then time corrects them. Like, I'll take a Van Halen song, like Running with the Devil or something, and time correct it. So all the drum beats are on, to, on, on the same rhythm, and Eddie Van Halen's guitar solo is on, you know, they, they'll, you know, quote unquote, making it perfect, making it right. And then they'll play it, and it's amazing how it loses so much personality. And that's, I mean, he knows he's doing, that's kind of what he's going for. And I don't know if, I don't know if he's putting his finger on the scale to make sure the song that results has no personality, but I can dig around for it and send you a link. You might be looking for it now, but I uh, believe it is Bobby Huff. Sure. It sounds like I time corrected Van Halen. Is that sound right? Yeah. And if you're in the musical production game, he's, he's probably speaking your language a little bit, but I don't know if you've, you've heard any of that stuff or, or have any feelings about it, but it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. It might, you can hear a couple songs that have been quote-unquote fixed, fixed or neutered. Uh, (laughs) Dr. Bob Store, Music Surgery is his channel. There we go. That sounds about right. Bobby Huff. So anyway, yes, I will definitely check that out. And I should have something for you. I got a piece of feedback that I'm just going to try to remember from a friend of mine who I sent our first episode for, and she said, you definitely won the first one. There was no question there. <laughs> she liked the idea of philosophy for dummies sort of podcast. She has told me in the past that she, unless I'm confusing her with someone else, has tried to listen to Partially Examined Life and maybe 
like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. You know, <laughs> kind of, it was not at her interest or speed or, uh, I could be just confusing her indifference with some other people. But so I will, as a better philosophy for dummies experience, at least according to the ratings is called philosophize this. Okay. If you want to look that up. So that is a, uh, a guy who's actually a fan of the partially examined life. And I've had him as guest on the show. Oh, Stephen West who is a very uh, coherent monologist. It is a different experience than the partial examined life, which is discussions. It is, there are several fine monologists in this area. Sure. Uh, but at least he has been found to, you know, speak very well to people that know absolutely nothing about philosophy, that even if I want that to be a rule in my uh, philosophy discussion podcast, the fact that I'm discussing with other people means inevitably there are things that, we know the the discussers that the audience will not know and maybe takes a little more patience to figure out what the hell is uh, going on. Sure, sure, sure. All right, man. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, audience. Thank you, supporters. Thank you, uh, whatever, whatever. Uh, we need a standard sign-off. Think of a standard sign-off for us. Well, I enjoyed what I learned from you, Mark. Well, I enjoyed what I learned from you, Bill. The end. All right. <laughs> yeah. And see. And see. That should be yeah. the, we should. <laughs> I should sell my soul. Bankrupt. 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 Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.